Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we'll focus on passages and destinations. And in other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. Now, what makes this podcast a little bit unusual is that only one of us sails. And that would be me, Bela. I've been sailing for over 30 years, not across oceans, but on lakes and coastal cruising in the East Coast of the United States. And I, Mike, know very little about sailing. As a matter of fact, I don't know why some boys are red and some are green, and I always can confuse port with starboard, and I never really understood why there are no ropes on a boat, and that sheet is actually a rope. I don't get it. Um, so <laughs> how this works is I'll ask most of the questions, and Bela will try to answer. I'll try to answer my best, Mike, but before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters. Several listeners have made a monthly financial contribution to support the podcast and help defray the cost of producing these episodes. We now also have a Patreon page, so supporting the podcast is super easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east. Hey, and you know what? We also are on YouTube now as well as your favorite podcasting application. So for you YouTube fans, just search for Sailing the East and you'll find it. And thanks again to all of our listeners and a special thanks to you, our supporters. Agreed, a big thanks, Bela. Now let's focus on today's guest. We're uh, welcoming back a familiar face to regular listeners. Um, and if my memory is correct, Mike Malakoff was a guest back on episode 66, 72, two and 73, which was a two-parter, I think. And I think he started his trip on Lake Champlain and he had this kind of plan to make it all the way to the Bahamas. And so we've kind of followed him along, uh, his progress in each of those last episodes. So you might want to go check those out. And here we are in episode 77 and we've got Mike back, Bela. Yeah, we sure do. And yeah, in episode 66, Mike was still on land and he, he was sort of in the dreaming and planning stages of his trip from Lake Champlain to the Bahamas. And Lake Champlain is a lake in upstate New York. Uh, part of the lake borders uh, New York State and the other part of it borders uh, Vermont. And then an and episode- don't forget Quebec because it's also in Quebec and our Canadian listeners would get a little bit uh, hot under the collar if you you're, fail to mention that, Bela. You're absolutely correct. It, it, the, the lake runs north or it runs north-south, but it drains into the St. Lawrence River uh, up, in, up in Quebec. And interestingly enough, from Lake Champlain, you can either go north up into the St. Lawrence, or you can head south uh, through the Champlain Canal and connect up with the Hudson River, which is what Mike was planning to do, head south. And uh, so he was in the planning stages of episode 66 when we talked to him, and that was back in September, I believe. And then in episode 72 and 73, which was a two-parter, uh, he cast off his lines in Burlington, Vermont, and headed south down the Champlain Canal to the Hudson River, past New York City. Uh, and uh, he gave us a nice update on that trip. 
uh, and he was in Beaufort, North Carolina, uh, when we had that conversation. Uh, and since then, he has made it to the Bahamas, which was his goal. And in this episode, he shares that experience with us. Uh, I broke this episode into, I broke this podcast into two episodes, or my conversation, I should say, with Mike into two episodes, because we chatted for a long time. Uh, he was in the cockpit of his boat. So uh, you get to see him. Uh, I think he was actually using his cell phone uh, to record this. Uh, and I was in snowy upstate New York. So make sure you give a listen to both episode 77, which is this one, and our next episode, which is episode 78. Great. And Bela, I'm really excited that you invited Mike back to get an update on this story. I kind of love this ongoing saga and kind of kind of riding along as he uh, goes from the prep and and now uh, I think is going to make it to the Bahamas. Let's dive in and hear his story. Oh, there you are. All right. Well, this this is island communication right now. Well, the the fact that you're in the islands is is a good thing. And now you're going to tease me by showing me the uh, little drink you're having there. Hey. <laughs> your, your sundowner. Uh, that's that's about it. Uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, um, just very quickly, the reason our communication is is uh, sketchy is we lost our Starlink, the most wonderful communication thing in, in the world. Uh, doesn't always work. Mm. Mm. Well, we can talk about that a little bit more. You know, I was just looking over. Uh, you were on the podcast uh, back in uh, September in episode number 66. Uh, okay. We, and, and, and at that time, this was all sort of a plan. <laughs> I remember, right? You were... It, it was a plan. We've changed it. It's called a goal now. <laughs> yeah, but you were like still in Burlington at that time, you know, a few oh, days, no. I think. Yeah, in September? Yeah. No? No, no. We talked later when we were the boat was in uh, North Carolina. That was Beaufort. That was the second time you were on the show. Correct. Yeah. So the first time was episode 66 yeah. and that was in oh, September. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then, then the second time was, uh, I broke it into two episodes, 72 and 73. And that was in correct. January. Right. When you yes, were down correct. in, in, in uh, Beaufort. Correct. And now, you're going to be episode 77. And where are you now? Uh, we are in Great Harbor Key Marina in the Berry Islands. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So take us from take us from Beaufort, uh, South Carolina or North Carolina? I should know this. Uh, Beaufort is in North Carolina, as I've learned. Beaufort is in South Carolina. Ah, <laughs> and don't make that mistake with the locals. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! I'm glad you cleared that up because I would screw that up every time. Uh, yeah. So uh, talk talk to us about how the trip went from down there. You made a crossing over to the the dreaded Gulf Stream, uh, and here you are. Uh, yes, it's it's been a whirlwind of a tour. Um, we we learned by the moment. Uh, as I like to say, it's sort of like drinking from a fire hose uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I have to say, uh, I took all the sailing courses. I think I went through that with navigation, uh, charting, uh, all of that. 
And I think that's like one fifth of all the things you need to know <laughs> when you go cruising on a boat. Yeah. So uh, uh, we, we this is this is not sailing. It's it's motoring with a little sailing mixed in. <laughs> yeah. The the uh, the ICW. We, you know, we've mixed both offshore mm-hmm. and the ICW in com- going south. Uh, the ICW, you can't sail. That's it's non-existent. Sure. There are a couple of places that you can try, but you know you're going through tight areas, so it's it's motoring. Um, and then offshore, it's been some sailing and some motor sailing because in trying to get the right conditions, uh, you know uh, we've had tried to stay with northerly winds behind us and the seas behind us and moving south because we move a little quicker but then it's it's sort of like we have wind directly on our stern and as, as you know trying to go even wing on wing that type of thing it can be a bit challenging especially if you're doing a night passage yeah so uh so you know we would end up uh just motor sailing or, yeah. or just motoring. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a whisker pole that you can use for your jib? We do not have a whisker pole. Uh, we never thought we would need one, uh, and uh, I, I don't I don't want to say we regret it, but we've managed. Uh, yeah. You know, with with what we've been doing, but yes, that's one of the things as what I'll say a new cruiser that uh, uh, we we didn't have we don't have a whisker pole. So, yeah. And, but, and do you but, uh, do you rig a rig a preventer when you're going downwind? Absolutely. That is one thing that from a safety standpoint, we absolutely positively do is we yeah. use a preventer. So, um, you know, that that is that's a mistake you don't want you don't want to make, right. uh, especially with a larger boat having that boom coming around at uh, 90 miles an hour. Yeah. All sorts of stuff will break. Yeah. So you went from you went down to intercoastal, and uh, where did you kind of sit for a while, waiting to get across the uh, Gulf Stream? Well, we went uh, from Beaufort. Uh, we went outside. We went down to Wilmington, North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, and then from uh, Wilmington, we sort of patched our way down through the Carolinas, uh, all the way down into. Uh, Georgia, and as I said, we did some inside and some outside. And for the holidays, we ended up in Brunswick, Georgia, which is like the furthest south uh, port in Georgia. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, for uh, good or bad, we ended up in Brunswick being towed. Towed because because we were doing really well. We had a great day. It was beautiful on the ICW. We were six miles out of Brunswick and the engine stopped oh, just like that. Really? Uh, yep, just like that. And we're on the ICW and it was like, okay, something's weird. Let me start it again. I started it, it started for maybe 15 seconds and poop, it just quit. So now we're uh, on the ICW, it's not very wide, and now we start <laughs> moving with the current. 
Sure. And I will say my wife was very good about it. She said, drop the anchor. It's only 10 feet, eight feet of water. Just drop the anchor, uh, you know, until we can figure this out, and which we did. And um, um, we uh, basically dropped the anchor. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what was going on, you know, why it would quit. I figured it was probably a fuel problem of some kind. But at 4.30 in the evening with sunset right around the corner, um, that wasn't the time to try and take the uh, system apart. So we got a tow, which was also an arduous thing because we are signed up for uh, Boat US yeah. uh, for their premium service. And lo and behold, guess what? They didn't have anybody that, that week in Brunswick. <laughs> so we had to call the competitor and uh, fortunately they came out within a half an hour, towed us into the Brunswick Marina uh, where uh, we got there after dark, but they were really good about it. And and I will say the towing services really do know the areas and stuff and, and sure. they towed us in. So to make a long story short, I learned a new term and um, probably something you're familiar with is I had to polish the fuel tank. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, you have to polish the down. fuel in the in the tank. And the tank itself. Oh, okay. So is, you got to get the is, tank is clean. Huh? So let let's talk about what what is, what does that mean when you polish the fuel? It yeah. means that what happens is, as with any boat, you can eventually start accumulating some water in your fuel tank. Um, not much, but water is heavier than diesel. It settles to the bottom and then you get, and I forget, I don't want to say a bacteria. Maybe, you know, the proper term for the algae or whatever it is, it gets into the tank and sits in between the water and the fuel and starts reproducing and eating, creating a sludge. Yes. And essentially what happened is that sludge got sucked up into our fuel system and clogged the fuel filter and that's why the engine stopped because it was full of this sort of gray sludge yeah. uh, uh, there and we were lucky enough that there's actually a company in brunswick that's all they do is polish fuel so uh, some people said you can do it yourself but once we saw how it was done it's not something you want to take on yourself because they not only polished the fuel, they cleaned the fuel tank, they cleaned all the lines, they cleaned the fuel filters right up into the engine itself. Oh, and wonderful. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, they had the equipment to do it. It took about three hours. Yeah. Um, and, and probably is no surprise with any boating project, it wasn't cheap. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, there's lots of lots of stories about about that. To me, the amazing thing is that, you know, I, I have a hard enough time growing a tomato plant in dirt. And and here you go, that <laughs> this bacteria grows between what it grows in diesel fuel. <laughs> I mean, you know, yes. it's like it, it's got to be some wonderful bacteria that it has that ability to do that. But there's many, many stories of that happening to folks, especially when you get into little rougher seas and the boat's moving up and down and the fuel tank gets kind of stirred up and then all this junk Correct. gets mixed in and uh, it can clog your filters, clog your fuel lines, cause all sorts of trouble. Now, 
Do you treat your yeah. fuel with anything at sort of a normal, normal course of action? You know, here, 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 here were the cons as I got from different sources and I, I listened to my diesel mechanics at the time. The concern is you have to be careful about adding that stuff that kills the bacteria that if you haven't had your tank or your fuel cleaned or polished, you can kill everything and it'll all drop to the bottom and guarantee that your boat won't run. Mm. So the idea is, is to try and keep running it and checking your fuel filter until it sorts itself out and not putting it in. But once I had the whole thing cleaned and polished, then they said, now you add little bits every time you fill up. It's like a half an ounce and right. it'll keep it from, it'll, it'll prevent it from actually growing. But they said, right. if you try to kill everything in the tank at once, you'll end up, you know, clogging your fuel filter. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was, that was uh, our polishing experience uh, in, uh, in Brunswick, Georgia. So we ended up staying there like two weeks. And the irony was it was right around the holidays. And if you remember, that was the deep freeze up north. Yeah. And essentially it dropped into the 20s. Oh, my gosh. In Brunswick, Georgia. And and you'll get a kick out of this because anybody up north knows this. When the temperature goes below freezing, all water lines freeze. <laughs> and the marina was unaccustomed to understanding when I said, are you going to disconnect all the water lines? And they go, well, why would we do that? <laughs> right. I say, because they're going to they're going to freeze. It's going down to 25 tonight. And they kind of looked at me sort of sideways like what really we're going to have to disconnect. And yeah, go around to all the boats. Let these people know you're you know, it's going to be freezing. And, yeah. you know, I, discon I disconnected all our water lines and stuff and made sure that we were okay. But as happens, a lot of people didn't. And next morning, there was water squirting all over uh, the place because a lot of people didn't disconnect their lines. Yeah. So, yeah. so our holiday in Brunswick, it was, yeah, it was cold for like three days. Uh, and, you know, we were sort of agonizing. Here we were all the way from Vermont. And we're still in <laughs> below freezing temperatures. Yeah, yeah. Some days it's probably colder down there than up here because it's been a very mild winter up here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, one other thing on the way down to Georgia, we did an overnight, um, and I want to say it was the one from Wilmington to Charleston, mm -hmm. uh, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. It was 23 or 24 hours, and it was fine and you know we had uh, good weather we had decent seas it was rolly yeah and we managed to get in and we got in late uh, or, or excuse me we got in early uh um in, into uh charleston bef uh, before dark because we did an overnight but it was later in the afternoon and a, a business associate of mine lives in Charleston and he wanted to meet for dinner. My wife was tired. She said, you just go. I, I'm going to stay here. So I go out and come back around 930, 10. And my wife has all the floorboards up. She says, I think we have a leak. And it's like after a 24 hour sale, I just went out to dinner, had a few drinks. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Yeah. And I go, what are you talking about? She says, listen. And you could hear this noise, like this 
noise coming from down near the bilge where it sounded like something like either a line was squirting or something. Yeah. And I'm looking around and I'm putting my head down in the, in the bilge and then I'm lifting another floorboard and going up. And I said, it's weird. It sounds like it's coming from here, but over there, I said, we can't be leaking in five different places. Right. Um, and I said, well, let me just, dry up the bilge completely and let's just see because if it is something leaking it'll eventually come to the lowest point clean the bilge out dried it up completely nothing so anyway i i said to her i said listen i don't know what it is maybe it's freon from the refrigerator or something that's yeah. making hissing yeah. noise yeah I, I said i'm exhausted we're not going to sink we'll figure it out in the morning lo lo and behold my wife who is a tech person is going online. It turns out it's hundreds of shrimp eating the out the eating the stuff off the bottom of the hull. Yes. Making the noise with their little claws. Yes. And, and here we were for two hours trying to see where water was leaking in. And it turns out it's these silly shrimp yep. that attach themselves to the bottom of the boat. Yeah. The reason I'm smiling is because I went through the same scare <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> one night in, in Tampa. We were down sailing in Tampa Bay on a charter and and we pulled into Marina. We got a slip and hear all this noise. <laughs> what, what's what's going on? And and it was driving us nuts for a while. And then, you know, we sort of asked a, there was a liveaboard down down the down the dock and I said, well, what's all this noise? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, it's the shrimp and the other critters and they're sort of chewing <laughs> on things on your boat. Nothing to worry about. Said, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, wow. unfortunately for, for us, it came at a, a really bad time after a long sail. Oh, of course. And, and then we saw, and, and then we saw a diver like the next day or something. And he says, oh yeah, they just attach themselves to everything. And, and apparently he explained how what it is the sound it's from their little claws it's a bubble or something an air thing mm -hmm. and their little claws when they move and it, it like pops this bubble and there's like hundreds of them yeah so anyway so yes yeah, so that th that was the story of the shrimp on the bottom of the boat yeah so i'm interested in talking a little bit about your overnight passage so was it just the two of you on the mm -hmm. boat yes just the two of us. And and what did you do for watches? How did you sort of structure that? Uh, easily, neither one of us slept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How's that for watches? Well, yeah, well I, said. <laughs> I, 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 let's put it like my uh, my wife is too nervous. Uh, I shouldn't say too nervous, but she, you know, it's one night, you know, that we're staying up. Yeah. I can manage with little sleep. I'm not a big sleeper. For me to stay up all night is not a big deal. And I took like a couple of cat naps for 15, 20 minutes and I'm fine. And then yeah. I think my wife did sleep for a little bit. But for the most part, we, we were up the whole time and, and you know, we just kind of chalk it up to to that. But it's not our favorite thing because you know it 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 is a little nerve wracking and and when we did this overnight passage, we were kind of surprised because there was no one else out there, mm. and 
you know, normally when you're doing these things, especially moving south, there's tons of boats moving. And it was kind of unnerving for us. I'm going, did I make a weather mistake or is there something I'm missing here? Because we're the only ones out here. Yeah. And it just turned out, I don't know, that others didn't go or whatever. And, you know, we were fine, though. But uh, but yes, our our schedule is neither of us really slept. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, very good. Uh, and uh, was there was there anything that happened on that overnight passage that you was a surprise that you didn't expect it? Um, no, other than the fact that there was no one else out there. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was fairly routine. I, I I feel I did my preparations. I knew what to expect. It was just it was it was rolly, you know, sort of off the off the side of the stern. Uh, and, you know, that gets to you after, as you can imagine, after a while with the boat just getting into yeah. a rhythm of rolling uh, after several hours. But um, it, it was it was fine. And we as I said, we motor sailed uh, most of the way. So, uh, um, yeah, it was it was uneventful. It was uh I, I guess, as my wife would put, put it, it was sporty going into the Charleston Harbor because it's a big harbor. And um, uh, there was a um, uh, fairly large uh, ship that was coming in at the same time as us. Yes. And and it was interesting. It was a female captain and she was she was fairly nice about it. But uh, she says, do you mind if we go in first? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, considering you're traveling at like 15 to 18 knots and we're doing five, yeah. I said, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, it was, it, and I've gotten used to that with inlets is now, you know, you have to know what to expect when you have currents coming in or out and the wind right. opposing and whatever. And, but right. it was okay. Yeah. And, uh, remind me, you have both AIS and radar on your boat. Yes, we we have AIS and radar, and we function with like three different chart plotters. Yeah. So we have Navionics uh, on the main one. Uh, we use, um, um, oh, geez, <laughs> we have so many different things. Um, what's the other one? There's C maps on the. Yeah. What's that? There's, there's something called C maps. No, C no, as in no, the letters C. C as in Charlie. C, C maps, yeah. uh, aqua maps. Aqua maps. Oh, okay. So we we also use aqua maps, which I found in the U.S. was really good. Now that we left the U.S., aqua maps isn't as good as Navionics over mm-hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. And so again, so, I'm just curious. At at night, did you did you turn your radar on at any moments in time? Did you leave it on all the time? You just turned it on a little bit, or just not at all? Um, not much. Uh, you know, the AIS is incredible for showing you, you know, what's what's around you. And uh, I, we had obviously on the nighttime uh, passage that we did, we have it on. Uh, just in case there's somebody that doesn't have AIS, right? Uh, but not on the ICW. And then, you know, if we're either anchoring or in a marina, we don't have it on. 
Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was thinking about your night, your overnight passage, uh, and oh, the yeah. use of radar yeah, that at that do. time. So so what, that overnight passage, you basically had the radar on all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yes, that's, because uh, yeah, because we do the same there, thing. There, yeah, because there could be that boat that doesn't have air, and a lot of people don't, which is surprising right. to me. But uh, a lot of people do not. Yeah, so. and 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 fishing boats are notorious for turning their AIS off. Yes, that was another thing that we learned is it's like in a couple of times when we were out out outside, it's like, wait, there's like a half a dozen fishing boats and I don't see them. And yeah. that's what I found out is they turn it off because they don't want the others to know where they are. Yep. So. Yep. So, yes, that's that's a uh, but it, 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 we didn't run into that too much. I think there was one time in Florida when we were offshore where there were a good dozen fishing boats around us, and most of them did not have the AIS on, and they were uh, using nets, and they're moving in these odd patterns. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of annoying because it was like, is he turning right? Is he, t-? you know, you could see right. him, but you know, you couldn't follow them, you know, you didn't have them on AIS and yeah, they just turn it off. Yeah. 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 That is one of the nice things about AIS. It, it sort of gives you a heading vector for that other boat. And, and oftentimes when boats are far away from you, you know, a couple of miles, it takes a while, at least for my brain to compute that they've actually turned and they're heading in sort of a, yeah. you know, they've changed heading because it, it, it's not obvious, at least not to me. Yeah. Yeah. No. With AIS, you see Perfect. their direction, you see their speed, you see everything. Yeah. And and if they're on a similar course, they'll start flashing red. Right. So that you know that you know you know now this they're showing that they're miles off, but it's showing you that your trajectories are fairly close. Right. Wow, Bela, what an adventure. A little bit more exciting than I think any of us had thought th- this would be. But I'll tell you, I learned a lot from this episode. You know, in the open, you always see how little I know about sailing. And this was one of those that really points that out. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to start? So the thing that struck me was when Mike said, you know, I took all the sailing courses. I did all that stuff. I read a lot of books. But, man, it only taught me a small percentage of what I really know uh, to kind of live and cruise on a sailboat. And, you know, it got me thinking a little bit about the profession you and I, uh, well, I was in and you still are in, which is college and teaching students things. And if I reflect back, you know, college taught me a lot of stuff, a lot of important stuff, but it it sure didn't teach me a lot of things on how to live life. And and that's sort of what Mike is saying in, in these sailing courses. They teach you how to trim your sails and how to steer the boat. Uh, but they don't tell you a lot of the ins and outs. So I think that was a good point that he made in, in the podcast. Agreed. I'll give you an example though. One of the things that I didn't know about Bela, and this is thing called a preventer. What the heck is that? (laughs) Yes. A preventer. So when you're sailing downwind, which means the wind is behind you, uh, so your, your sails, you sort of, you, you let your sails out or you let them loose. And, and so they're sort of, instead of parallel with the boat, they're sort of perpendicular with the boat because the wind is behind you and you're trying to get, you know, like the wind to push a barn door, if you will, you know, 
And and the, the challenge is when the wind is behind you like that, if you veer off the wind a little bit uh, and you're not paying attention, meaning the angle of the wind is not now directly behind you, but it's a little bit more to the left. And let's say your sails are out on the left. If you veer too much in that direction, the wind will actually get behind the sail, on the other side of the sail, the forward side of the sail, and it will take that sail and the boom and slam it way over to the other side. Right? Think of a think of an open, you know, a, a, a door, if you will, that's open and the wind is keeping it open, but then if the wind shifts direction to so it's blowing on the other side of the door, it'll slam that door shut. Yeah. And that's fundamentally what happens. Very dangerous. Dangerous, right. Uh, number one, if your mast is low enough, it smacks you in the head. There's been numerous people who've been severely injured uh, and killed when that's happened. Uh, also, when that sail slams over from one side of the boat and the boom way over to the other side of the boat can do all sorts of damage. Uh, because the loads on the lines and the sheets and the standing rigging uh, is are really high and things can break. So a preventer, hence the word, right? This is one of the places where the term makes sense, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, is, is a rope, typically a line, that you attach to the boom that if the wind does get on the other side of the sail, it prevents it from slamming over to the other side. Okay, so it's a physical okay. device that it's limits physical, the travel yes. in the event of a wind shift. In 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 the simplest form, it's a, it's a it's a rope that you tie to the yeah. end of the boom, and you tie it someplace else on your boat that prevents that sail from from moving in in a, in, a, in one direction. Got it. So it co it it costs almost nothing. It takes a couple of minutes to rig this up, right? Yeah. But it can really save you if you you fail to pay attention or something oh, changes yeah. real quick. Yeah. Okay. So got so it. when I when I sail downwind. I very rarely sail directly downwind. I always sail a little bit to port or starboard. And so that way I have more of a cushion or more of a safety factor, if you will, uh, with, with, with the wind getting behind the sail because I, I'm not pushing it directly downwind. I, I, have, to, I have to veer off like 30 degrees <laughs> before mm -hmm. that wind's going to get behind the sail. Whereas I'm going directly downwind, might be three, or five or yeah. five degrees yeah. can make all the difference. Yeah. Okay. So it, it costs you a little bit of time to, to do that, right? You're not going to go quite as fast and you have to tack maybe an extra time or something, right? Yes. But, but it's worth it because you don't have that risk of a, of the, right. the boom swinging right. fast. And, and right. if you're like, if I'm on Narragansett Bay, it's not that big. So for me to rig a preventer is sort of a pain. Mm -hmm. uh, because I got when you tack, you got to disconnect the preventer, which right. means I got to go up on deck every I time, disconnect right. it, and then I got to tack over to the other side, uh, or jibe over to the other side and, and reattach it. If you're out in the ocean and you're going all day, it's great in one it's direction, perfect, right? Right. Okay. But if if every 20 minutes I'm I'm making a direction change because I'm on a, a lake or a tighter tighter body of water. Uh, it it's a pain, so that's why I never sail directly downwind. I always sail a little bit off the off the rear quarter yeah okay. okay cool i learned something thanks okay yeah. my second question you ready yeah okay tell me about this whole fuel issue and polishing parts <laughs> and fuel i mean in cars and automotive gasoline we put additives in so that it doesn't do things like that what's up with this yeah so diesel fuel is interesting uh, part of it part of the problem is like on a sailboat like on my boat I go through, I have a 65 gallon tank and 
I go through about three quarters of a tank of gas a season. So that's not a lot of fuel. Okay. So it sits in the tank for a long period of time. And it's a big tank. It's a 65 gallon tank on my boat. So what happens is, you you know, when, when, when a tank is like half full and you get uh, changes in temperature and humidity, you'll get condensation inside the tank. Okay. I mean, this happens in cars too. That's why they say on a car, keep your tank full in the winter so you don't get that condensation. Same thing in a boat. Um, so for example, I always keep my tank pretty full. If I go out and I'm, I'm down to like three quarters of a tank, I'll fill it up just to, so I don't, I have less space for that condensation to form. Um, but if you, if you know, you don't, uh, use a lot of fuel and you, and your tanks empty or not empty, but half full and you have a high place where it's high humidity and it gets cool at night, but it's really warm during the day. You'll get this condensation. That condensation falls down into the diesel fuel and it settles to the bottom and you can put additives in, but you can only put in so much to absorb this water. So I put in a, a, an additive that absorbs the water and it and mixes with diesel fuel, the same kind of additives you put in a car. You know, mm-hmm. when you lived in Potsdam, they talked about putting in, they call it dry gas, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, and same type of thing. But the other thing that happens is that uh, as it as it sits there, it, for some, some reason, there's this special bacteria, and I don't understand how it works, that can kind of grow between the interface between the water and the diesel fuel. And which is remarkable to me because if you pour diesel fuel on my lawn, it'll kill the lawn. Yeah, yeah but something can live in there. Huh. <laughs> but something can live in it. And then the other thing that so this thing, this stuff can build up. Yeah. And and diesel engines do not like dirt in the fuel. So on my diesel engine, between my fuel tank and the engine, there are three filters. Wow. Okay. Not just I, one. Not just one. There's three of them. And, and I mean, that's just standard. It's not nothing I put in there, but they're real sensitive to dirt. So uh, what happened, and the other thing that happens is this stuff settles when this bacteria and algae stuff dies, it sort of settles to the bottom of the tank, which is fine, which is also sort of where the water is if you typically have any water in the tank. And when you go out in the ocean and there's big waves, the tank starts sloshing around. And this stuff sort of gets mixed up into the fuel more. And then the fuel pick, pick up, picks up this stuff and it clogs the filter. Makes sense. So it's not killing your engine. The filter's doing right. the it's job. It's just the filters. Right. But filters, the filters are clogged, get so it's not clogged. getting any, any fuel. Exactly. Right. So you always carry spe- extra filters with you, particularly your very first one. That's the one that clogs most sure, often. First. Right. And they're relatively easy to change, but it's it's not like changing a light bulb. It's a little more complicated, mm-hmm. um, mainly because you got to get the air out of the system. Um, so you got to bleed it first, then change bleed the yeah. filter, then probably bleed yeah. it again just to make That's sure. Right. Right? So. That's right. So you, it's a little bit right. of an So it's a half process. hour, probably. Yeah. Right? If, you're, if you've done it a couple of mm-hmm. times, it's a half hour. The first time you do it, it could be two hours. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. So that's that's what's going on. It's very common with 
diesel, particularly in sailboats, because again, they don't use a lot of fuel. Right, right. Fuel Motorboat, sits, you're using the fuel all the time, so all it's time. working it through. And, it, right? and, and you're sloshing it through there and it kind of goes. But changing the filter takes care of it. If it's really, really bad, then you know you put a new filter in, the new filter is going to clog. <laughs> so if it's really bad, what you do is you get your fuel polished. Now it turns out a diesel engine is always polishing the fuel because the fuel pump is pumping more fuel into part of the engine, but it's not using it all. So it, it pumps fuel out of the tank, through the filters, it uses 50% of the fuel, depending on your throttle setting, and it dumps the rest back into the tank. Uh, so it's kind of continuously filtering so, it. So it's sort of continuously polishing yeah. because they, they have these high capacity pumps and they run them at full capacity and then there's a different way they meter out the fuel to the engine. So you're constantly sort of polishing because there's always a return fuel line on a diesel. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it gets really bad, you can polish your fuel, which basically means you set up a big pump into your fuel tank through a bunch of filters and then you dump it back in the tank and you let that run for an hour or two and it just basically cleans all that stuff out. Okay, and you just take it to the marina and the, sh the shop, they just do it for you, right? They got a machine? Yes. Or do you, yeah, do they have a, yeah. you don't do it yourself, do you? I've seen YouTube videos of people doing it themselves. It's yeah. pretty elaborate uh, because, you know, you need a pump, uh, you got to access, blah, blah, blah. I think this is one of those things where I just hire. If I needed to do it, yeah. I would just hire somebody. Yeah, okay. Right? It's worth the probably four or 500 bucks you got to spend to get it done. Uh, yeah, yep. and if you don't need it very often, there's no point in having and storing the equipment, right? It, right, right, right. Yep, so yeah. that's that. Polishing fuel, that's what that's about. Uh, let me see. The other thing I thought was interesting, and, and when Mike, I was talking to him about their first night passage, right? So they did this mm -hmm. one leg out on the ocean, and it's overnight, 24 hours of sailing or something. And, and I asked him the question, so how, how did you set up your sleep schedule? He goes, we didn't sleep. We didn't. Yep. <laughs> and it reminded me of, you know, the, my first night out on the ocean. It was the same way. I, I couldn't sleep. Um, but, uh, I'm sure if they would have done three or four nights in a row, they would have figured out how to sleep because you just yeah, have, you to. have to, but, uh, yeah. So I thought, I thought that was pretty good. Cause yeah, your adrenaline's running you're, you're anxious about stuff. Uh, and, and you're not really going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, it's a great story. My, my last question is what is with these little shrimps? Shrimps attached <laughs> to the bottom of the boat, like not. I know not where you're at. They don't do that, but is that like a Bahamas thing or warm water or what? What's up with yeah, that? Yeah, it's a it's a warm water thing because I think shrimp tend to be more. Uh, uh, there's more shrimp in the warmer water than there is up north. We, I see them every once in a while around the docks, little ones. Mm -hmm. um, but you know they don't they don't harvest Cash shrimp up in boat. up in northern climates it's south carolina north carolina you know down in the gulf is where the big shrimping happens yeah and there's something uh, i don't understand the mechanism but somehow they're they're eating the algae on off of the hull of your boat and and when they when they chomp down or something they make a little noise a bubble or something yeah, yeah it, it happened it happened to us when we were in florida on a charter and and we're at a marina and we're and we're sort of, you know, getting ready to go to bed and everything's really quiet. And we hear all this noise. It's like, what's going on? We hear this noise and it sounds like bubbles coming along the hall or something. Just a weird noise, right? 
And I was like, what the hell is that? And we get up and we're looking and, you know, we, we too learned that it's these little shrimp, these little crustaceans making all this noise. Yeah. And you can't see them. Like if you shine a flashlight, could you uh, see we them? Yeah. When, where I, when I was in Florida, where we were, the water wasn't super clear. Now where Mike is, okay. the, the water yeah, is like maybe. gin clear. He, he, he may be able to see it. See yeah, him. but it's probably not, not like the red lobster shrimp cocktail size things. They're probably these tiny things, I would imagine. Right? I, I think I think you're correct. I think yeah. they're probably the juvenile shrimp. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was pretty funny too. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't teach you that in sailing classes either. No, no but <laughs> this is fun. You, yeah, they don't teach you about polishing fuel. <laughs> No, but I like you said a couple of times how, you know, you meet people and you ask them questions and it's a community and they help each other. And, you know, that's how you learn the rest of the stuff. And I think, it, you know, you're in the open, you were talking about, um, you know, teaching at universities and teaching anybody, training anybody. You train people to a set of knowledge and skills that is only part of usually everything that you need. And there's this whole other part of it that you right. get. Um, you know, really in a, in a more tacit way from watching people or talking to people or, or, or just kind of having these experiences and it builds into this expertise, um, so that you have the confidence and the ability to kind of get through anything. So it's, it's really been fascinating, really, you know, from the very first conversation you had with Mike, kind of to hear how he's developing these knowledge and skills and acquiring this confidence and, uh. And it's been really cool, but I can't wait. You know, now I'm kind of hanging in my seat here. Is he going to get there? You already kind of gave it away and he opened that he makes yeah. it to the Bahamas, but, um, but maybe we should wrap this one up and let people listen to the second, um, half of the conversation and, and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good, Mike. Let's wrap it up. All right, listeners. Thanks for joining us for yet another episode. And we hope you found our conversation interesting and thought provoking. And of course, if you have questions about what we've discussed, please get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoy the podcast, please hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting application. Hey, and make sure you listen to part two of my conversation with Mike Malkoff. Uh, so until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon. Sounds great, Bela, from over here in Münster, Germany. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.